0: Hey, welcome to the SBC History Podcast. Welcome back, I should say. It has been a while since I've been here with you. I have all sorts of really good and valid excuses that you all would accept, like COVID and I started school again and kids and children and church and all sorts of things, but you don't care about any of that. You're just here for the history. So I have something different I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks. I'm going to be releasing some old audio. This is audio of the R.G. Lee sermon he gave on the nature and identity, the deity of Christ, the 1959 Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. R.G. Lee was one of the great pulpiteers of his age and was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. Uh, That church has had many famous pastors, including Ramsey Pollard, uh, a guy you might have heard of, Adrian Rogers, and now the great Steve Gaines. I think you'll enjoy this message and you'll hear his pastor's heart and his all for Christ as he shares from Philippians chapter 2. So take a listen. There might be pops and clicks on the audio along the way and it ends kind of abruptly, but uh, you get what you pay for. So make sure and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, because I'm going to have more of this older audio coming out. In the next few weeks and months, it's uh, something that I don't want to see buried away. I want to be able to put out into the public for everyone to enjoy. So I hope you're edified by this. The Deity of Christ by R.G. Lee, 1959 Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference.
1: For chairman and dear friends of our Pastors Conference, I put on your heart as I come to my message a few verses in the second chapter of Paul's letter, For the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not a prize to be gained to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and hath given him a name which is above every name, and at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. I would ask you to think with me just a bit about a very decided difference. There's a big difference in divinity and deity. Though sometimes there seems to be a synonymous definition of these two words, we must not forget that when we think toward Jesus and speak for Christ and speak in his name, we must apply the word deity to Jesus Christ as the one who has gone into heaven, as the one who is at the right hand of the Father and to whom all powers and authorities and angels submit. Now we remember, if we think aright, that in this world there are many people who never dispute the fact of Christ's divinity. The infidels do not deny that, the apostates do not deny that, The modernists who look upon many things of the Bible as legend and as myth do not deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus. And these dealers in speculative cleverness and these dealers in the airy extractions of an up-to-date gospel talk very glibly about the divinity of Jesus. But they do not think and they do not teach and they do not preach that his divinity is exclusive and that Jesus is above all and that all that Jesus said is above all that we can say as the great river is beyond the little rill in reach. We understand that the New Testament teaches the deity of Jesus, and this is not denied. Even infidels and agnostics say that the New Testament teaches the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And rationalistic schools and rationalistic scholars talk about the divinity of the Lord Jesus, even when they know that the New Testament speaks of him as being God and declares his deity. And wherein do the rationalistic scholars and the rationalistic schools deny the deity of Jesus? They deny it by denying the reliability of the Scriptures, by denying that the Bible is a final revelation of God and by denying the reliability of the writers of God's blessed book. It isn't difficult to get people to believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus when they know and believe that the Bible is inspired in totality, is infallible in its statements, is universal in its interests, is personal in application, regenerated in power. A miracle book on diversity and unity, of harmony and infinite complexity. Now we come to think a little while with you, and you think with me about the doctrine of deity. John Owen in his very wonderful book, The Glory of Christ, points us to the Song of Solomon, in which we have this question, what is our beloved above every other beloved one? So when we come this afternoon thinking toward Jesus, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and I hope seeking to stir Jesus to the very point of exhaustion if necessary, going in at distance he would ask us to go, taking in at stand he would ask us to take, we need to ask the question, what is our beloved Christ more than any other? And in this question we find that the supremacy of Christ is involved just as in the very thought of the answer to the question, the excellency and supremacy of Christ is put before us. And this declaration more than is the axiom, one of the first axioms of real belief in Christ is the starting point, the argumentative starting point of the lovers of Christ who want to crown him Lord of all. And this declaration about the dead in Christ shows us that he is more than any other than this world could ever think upon whose name the world has ever heard. You can take a vast orchestra of many instruments under the direction of a mighty music master, and you can give only a hint just like in this world, there's some truth so fast that you can hardly do more than give a hint as to them. The orchestra with the great symphonic orchestra can give you a hint of what a storm at sea is like. A hint, I said. But all the orchestras that this world has ever known, even David's orchestra 4,000 instruments, could only hint. At the fury and the rage of a storm that makes the ocean to be like a wild old maniac that hurls man's ships to the rocks or brings them down to the depths of the sea as easily as you can handle a child's toy in a bathtub. And so it is with the doctrine of this And this wonderful truth of Jesus and about Jesus's something so rich you cannot bring it in the bounds of circumscribed with the poverty of language or the inadequacy of vocabularies. There's a vast chasm as we have known if we have believed the Bible between Jesus and all the great men who have ever lived upon this earth and the greatest men of this earth have in humiliation and shame confessed that they were utterly unworthy to be known as disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word astronomy can just give us a hint of the starlit midnight with the seas of brilliant worlds that are there. They cannot really portray what a starlit midnight is. The word astronomy cannot. And when we come to believe that, we'll understand that Jesus cannot be circumscribed within the category of great men of the city. That's one reason why I despise these articles that list Jesus along with Mr. Gandhi and Confucius and Buddha as one of the 10 great men of the ages. You can't put Jesus in the back toe with Buddha. You can't put him in the same category with Gandhi. Somebody asked me once if I thought Mr. Gandhi went to heaven. I said, yes, if you could go to heaven on the back of a cow, Mr. Gandhi went to <laughs> Mr. Gandhi was kind, and he was very gracious, and maybe more kind and gracious than some of us are. But I have two statements that have startled me. Mr. Gandhi said, I think I would have become a Christian had it not been for Christians. And the other night in Moscow, when I was talking to that marvelous Brother Zidkoff, the pastor of the Baptist Church in Moscow, I said, what is your explanation of folks like Stalin and Khrushchev? He said, the poor living of people who profess to know God and do not have him in their hearts or manifest him in their lives. That is startling. But when we remember, we go back through the years, we remember that there there has been thrown out among the nations of men and did Statement and the belief among many of a God man who would come. Oh Socrates himself warned the people, believing, he said, that there was coming someone, coming someone who would destroy the evils of the world, someone greater than all else. And one of the most electrifying statements of King the to was heard by Plato when he said. There is coming someone, there is coming someone who is greater, will be greater than all the kings, and who will reign with such power, bring such blessedness that the mind and the land shall lie down together. That was said 400 years before Christ was born. Tacitus and Suetonius talked about their coming, a deliverer from the people of Judea old Virgil, the pagan Roman poet, talked about one whose coming was near, who would do what nobody else had ever done. And Confucius, the Chinese teacher, talked about someone who was coming who would revolutionize the world. And so Rastor, the mystical dreamer of Persia, talked about one whose coming was very close and who would destroy the evils of earth as he agreed some others, and one who said, along with his child, that there was coming one who would dethrone Jupiter. And so we come to find these things about the doctrine of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's think just a little bit of the declarations we have about the deity of the Lord Jesus. And these divine declarations are denials of the church, wicked denial of the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was the supreme fact of all history and of all science, the supreme fact of time, of eternity, of life and death, the one who was co-existent, co-existant, co-eternal with God. And the divine declaration of the book is this, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool the one whose name shall be among us, as this divine declaration is, his name shall be called the Lord of Righteousness. the book talks about Jesus, the Son of Man, who was Lord on the Sabbath day. And Jesus himself said, You called me Master and Lord, and such I am. You told the truth because I am the Lord. We remember that the writer of one of the epistles of books of the New Testament said on his vesture and fire is written King of kings and Lord of lords. And then the names that Jesus has been called testified in one great chorus of confirmation of his deeds. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He didn't say my teacher and my friend even though that could have been included, But my Lord and my God. The Apostle talks about Christ above all, God, above all, God blessed forever. And we find in the Blessed Book that the Lord said unto his Son, This shall be thy throne. And Jesus prayed that the glory he had with God before the world was, that God would grant unto him. Jesus is God after his will, and whatsoever the Father doeth, that the Son also doeth. Before I came here this afternoon, I scribbled down just a few verses in God's blessed book. My Father waketh hitherto, and I have worked. Jesus is one with God as to his works. He is one with God as to God's will. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he said the Father do. He is one with God in wisdom. The Father loveth the Son and hath shown unto him all things that himself doeth. He's one with God in resurrection power because I wrote this from the book as I quote it, For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, so the Son quickeneth whom he will. And we find that Jesus and God are one in divine honors. Here's what John writes, All men shall honor the Son even as they honor the Father. And he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father whenever any masonic hall, or any woodman in the world, or any group of teachers, laid a common stone in a building, and because of the presence of the Jews, they will not mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have not honored God at all. He had honored not the Son, honored not the Father. We remember that they are one in divine honors, and one actually be store of life. Listen to this blessed verse. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath this he had given to the Son to have life in himself. Then we remember that Jesus accepted worship, which is a testimony to his deity. Worship belongs only to God. And therefore, when Jesus accepted worship, he said by the acceptance of worship that he was God. The folks on the ship came and worshipped him. A certain ruler came and worshipped him and went from Mount Olivet where Jesus footed and the rock of Olivet crushed the laws of gravitation. He lifted up his hands in benediction as they went away and they worshipped him. And the book tells us that when God brought his son in this world he commanded the angels to worship him. And this marvelous Christ accepted worship And except if he had accepted worship, had he not been God, then he would have been guilty of idolatry. Jesus accepted worship. And of course, when we come to the fact of the creation of this universe and all other universes, we know that Jesus is God because all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Paul says all things were created by him. Things in heaven, things in earth, where they be thrones, all dominions, all principalities, all powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The writer of the epistle to the Hebrews said, God, who sundry times and divers, manners and times past, spake of thou fathers by the prophets, hath in these latter days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath departed all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And Paul tells us that God created all things by Jesus Christ. And God is the author of creation and Jesus is agent in creation, testifying to the deity of Jesus. And all the characteristics and attributes of God were resident in Jesus Christ. He was God and this earth received him on a pattern of straw. Yonder Bethlehem's gone. He was God when he waked in the cup on the shop in Nazareth. He was God along the Mount of Transfiguration, the spiritual incandescence of his deity, burst through the veil of his flesh and made his face to shine like the sun. He was always God. Jesus was always God. Without beginning, without end. As I said, he is coexistent, co-essential, co-eternal with God. Paul writing to the church at Corinth said that the light of the glory of God was in the face of Christ Jesus. If you can get some imaginative faculty of the strongest wind archangel that God has, and send it out of him out to the farthest reaches of space and to the other bounds of the sea, you'll find that when he goes there, and he, he will get the testimony of Jesus Christ. In and in, in the face of Jesus Christ is all the beauty and all the madness and all the greatness and all the magnificence and all the grandeur of God Himself. God manifest and magnificent in the flesh was Jesus Christ. Ancient history testifies to that, modern history testifies to that. Jesus Christ was embodied in the human flesh and demonstrated in human life and crystallized in human form. All testifies to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these ages that have gone before show us because of what they show us of what Jesus was and did and ever will be and of what he said. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God looked through the eyes of Jesus Christ. God walked through the feet of Jesus. God's compassion glistened in the eyes of Jesus. God's omnipotence was wielded in Jesus' arm. God's love beat itself out in Jesus' heart, the human heart. And God's wisdom poured forth from a human man. We live in a day when the death of Jesus Christ does not mean much to lots of folks. I have a school teacher who's a friend of mine in Memphis, Tennessee, who said to me, Bob, if you'd just get some of those old-fashioned ideas out of your head about the death of Jesus and about the resurrection. The resurrection being a literal resurrection and about the miracles being just as the Bible says, you'd come pretty much and become pretty much intelligent. And I said, Well, can you give me any proof by what you say that you don't have vacant rooms for rent upstairs? <laughs> <laughs> and we come to some of the devilish denials of the deity of Jesus in our world today. And I have many any time as short as life is to listen ten seconds to any man who denies the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The supreme affirmation of Christianity is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to me, one of the most insolent paradoxes that has ever been perpetrated among the religions of the earth is that insolent paradox that talks from the Christian standpoint and yet denies the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like some attack the account God gives us in the book of Genesis. A young man came to me who went off to school and he said, Well, preacher, if I believe you, I can't believe my professor. If I believe my professor, I can't believe you. Whom am I to believe? That's the book of Genesis. I said, Believe me, son, and you won't go wrong.
0: <laughs> we
1: have these deniers of the deity of the Lord Jesus, just as dangerous as those who deny the reliability of the Pentateuch. The kind of creation and the creation of the world and of man as God gives it in the book of Genesis. These people who deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ would make just sort of simple, silly dogwood songs out of the music of the Psalms. They would make all that Moses and the prophets said, the the ravings of delirium. They would make what the apostles said, the sayings of people who were hoodwinked into ignorance and who deliberately taught deception to the people. They would make Paul chain bound on his way along, the victim of an awful delusion, and would label all the great Christians who have stood for the dead of Jesus as liars and as blasphemers. All oh, the some things that you can be sure about in this world. We don't have any doubt believing in the centripetal and centrifugal forces of the universe, which Jesus himself made a reality. We don't have any trouble believing in the stars when we study what Galileo said about the stars. And we don't doubt his telescope that magnified the power of the human eye 250 times. And and newspaper men don't doubt that Gutenberg invented the Google-type printing press gave the Bible to the people, made it so that Bible in hand they could leap over the antique walls of civilization and destroy the prejudices that were deeply rooted in the immemorial past. We don't have any trouble believing that the face of George Washington is on a one dollar bill and the face of Jefferson on a two dollar bill and the face of Abraham Lincoln on a five dollar bill. Alexander Hamilton on a $10 bill and Andrew Jackson on a, on a $20 bill. Ulysses S. Grant on a $50 bill. And Benjamin Franklin on a $100 bill. And I guess this is so it says that Robert Cleveland's on a $1,000 bill. <laughs> I, I guess that's so. I don't see any of those. But those things are just as definite as can be. We don't deny that. Why should we deny what the Bible says about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I get provoked with people who accept all the modern scientific wonders of our world today, and then deny good question marks after the miracles that are recorded in God's blessed word. Of course we know that the Mohammedans will now mingle, mangle, Koran deny the deity of Jesus. We know that Christian science, that says, that prayer is and realizing the presence of sin, sickness and death. There are no such things. When I went to run in New Hampshire on one occasion, after Mrs. Eddie had been dead about 15 years, I asked the old caretaker to let me have an interview with Mrs. Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> he said, she's not here, sir. She's not here. To me, you mean to tell me that after talking for years and writing for years, there was no such thing as death? And she finally died. <laughs> she, of course, denied the death of the Lord Jesus. And Unitarianism denies the death of the Lord Jesus. And you think about one thing. I heard Billy son say one day that a, that a Unitarian couldn't pray. Said if he did pray, he wouldn't get him. A father, and a tomcat with a sack of semen tied to his tail, trying to get him through a stovepipe. <laughs> because he denies the deity of the Lord Jesus. All <laughs> <laughs> you know, these people who put that question mark after God's word—I don't care where they put it or who puts it. Remind me of a little crab siding down to the Atlantic Ocean complaining because there wasn't enough water for him to swim in.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, this wonderful, wonderful truth of the dear to the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of the demonstrations of his dear. I've had the blessed spiritual experience in these recent weeks of walking so many places where Jesus walked and studying about the events that he brought to pass in certain towns. I stood on the hillside where he took the lads, loaves, and fishes and demonstrated his deity by feeding 5,000 men besides the women and the children, having 12 baskets of tar still to give out to the folks. I went to the poor, miserable little town of Maine where he broke up a funeral procession and demonstrated his deity there. I stood yonder the troop of Bethesda, where he demonstrated his stead. I preached twice in Nazareth, where God wrought a miracle to keep him from being killed in the long ago, and I think he must have paralyzed some of those folks, so Jesus did, like the arm of Jeroboam was paralyzed. I saw the sea, which was once in a rage. Jesus rose and rebuked that raging sea until all the howlings of the waves became like the whispers of a baby asleep in his mother's arms. I stood on Mount Olivet where he said goodbye to his disciples. Where between? where between his resurrection foot and the scope of Olivet, of the laws of gravitation were relaxed and broken into pieces. I can see him now. Well, the time has come to go. And he went up, and the one whom this world hadn't seen among the cattle, who had been slain between two thieves, went up, and he could look out when he got a little bit up and see for him and see the place of the skull as he went back to the Father's right hand where he ever lived to make a decision for us. When I stood on Mount Olivet, I took out my Bible and read to the people that were with me about his going away. Then I turned to the fourth verse in the last chapter of Zechariah, where it spoke about Mount Olivet being on the east of Jerusalem. And when Jesus comes back in the glory of his visible return and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, and the book says it's on the east of Jerusalem, and you can stand there and see how geography testifies all of that land to the verification to the truth of the Bible. Oh, Mount Olivet someday is going to split wide open. Part of it's going toward the south and part toward the north. When those piercing feet touch that mountain, and it splits wide open. That'll be another testimony to his dear, to the truth that he God. God inherently, God without change, the same yesterday, today and forever. All the demonstrations we find in that land of the deity of the Lord Jesus. Of course, one of the greatest demonstrations is the moral perfection and sinlessness of his life. Oh, Jesus was so finely strong, so unutterably keyed to truth, to mercy, to justice, and to love. And he so quickly felt the sorrow and the sympathy and indignation which wrong and injustice invariably elicit from all high souls. I challenge all the atheists of Russia in that anti-religious, atheistic land to find one flaw in the life of Jesus. I challenge all the skeptics with their telescopes of observation in all the world. I challenge all the... All the critics with aspect of grabs and x-rays of investigation to find any time when Jesus was ever betrayed into an error of judgment. When he ever said anything, he should not have said. When he ever stayed silent, when he should have spoken. Circumstances left no fingerprints upon his character. His zeal was always in white heat. Though he was tempted at all points like We are he was without sin. The greatest demonstration that he was was God was his absolute unquestioned holiness. And the challenge of his question still goes out to all the world. Who convinceth me of sin? Jesus, listen to this please, because I don't want to miss a word of what I wrote about it. Jesus was the verity of God's truth. He was the beauty of God's holiness. He was the purity of God's nature, he was the wisdom of God's mind. He was the reality of God's love, he was the purity of God's promise, he was the majesty of God's power, he was the authority of God's throne, he was the pity of God's heart, he was the repository of God's fullness, he was a legacy of God's will, he was the ocean, of all God's full and flowing rivers of grace. And what Jesus was, he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, God. And we need to come to think just for a minute, and I hope you'll be patient while I say this, of, what, of the dependence of his deity. What does his, his deity depend upon? Depends upon his words and word. When Mary, the mother highly favored of God, went down to that mysterious land of motherhood, this virgin who had never touched a man, she came back holding in her arms, the only baby who never had a right to And as every muscle was so divine divinely swung, as every bone was divine sculptures, every nerve was divine handwriting, as I've said a thousand times in our Southern Madison events, and when I come to think of the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus, I agree with what Dr. Haldeman of the First Baptist Church in New York said years ago. When he said, whoever denies the virgin birth of Jesus denies the Bible of Christianity. He takes it, takes the crown of deity from the brow of Jesus. He smites Mary with a club of shame. And he puts takes from all of Jesus the garments of his sinless humanity. He takes away from folks the salvation of their souls because had Jesus been born begotten of on earth the Father, he never could have been the savior of the world. Dr. Dodd was one time president of our Southern Baptist convention. He said, denial of the virgin birth of Jesus is the wedge that brings in denial of Bible truth. He said, if Jesus was born of man and not of God, he was an imposter deceiving people. Now let me come to this last thing and I thank you for your patience in listening to me this afternoon. This deity of Jesus Christ demands our devotion, our devotion to his majestic character. Our devotion and spiritual passion to win the people for whom He died, just as He died for us. Our devotion to His teaching when He taught and stood out above all teachers as a great palm tree in a desert of mediocrity. A devotion that will coerce us into moving into the climate of the cross and living in the climate of the cross. where earthly glory fades and where the world is stripped of its charms, and where the history of human guilt culminates and where the sacrifice of Christ lays claim upon our every ability and our every talent and our every power. I went to Russia last week. I spent four days there. I preached two short songs there. People called it just bringing greetings from our Baptist people in our convention. And they said, but you preach some too, will you please? I want to tell you about that. And just as a botanist, a man who loves flowers can learn a lot from a botanist. Just as a man who loves the stars can learn much from an astronomer. And just as a man who wants to know about history can learn much from a historian. We Southern Baptists, with our 9 million people and 30,000-odd Baptist churches, and some of them pretty odd, (laughs) can learn a great deal from our Russian Baptists. I've been standing before a bush that burned since I went there, and in the land where I thought I might receive the least spiritual uplift, I think I received the most, and that's no disparagement of the fact that I preached in the garden where Jesus rose from the dead. The young man came to the hotel where Mrs. Lee and my daughter and I were staying, it's a tremendously big hotel. It has 1,026 suites, not rooms, but suites, Our room had a big bedroom, two closed closets, a shower and a tub bath, a, and a living room and a television and a radio, and I couldn't understand a word on it. But to this big hotel came a very affable, bright-faced preacher's son, the son of Dr. Zidkov, the president of the Baptist Russian Union, at 8.30. And I said, aren't you worthy? He said, no. Our service begins at nine o'clock. And then we have another at one, another at six. She said, I'm sorry to be a little late at the time we get there. I think we'll be just a few minutes late. And we were a few minutes late at this Baptist church, which has 4,000 members. And He took me through the pastor's office. The steps leading to the platform where the preachers were, where three seats were reserved for us three. It was crowded with folks. All the eyes were crammed and jammed, as thick together as my fingers are thick, as thick as sardines can be put in a can. The stairs to the gallery were crammed and jammed. All the eyes were crammed and jammed. The hallway clear back, to the front door was crammed and jammed, and the folks who couldn't get in out there had their heads stuck inside. I had been in that place one minute, looking out on that veritable sea of faces of people packed so closely to together, standing, many of them, hundreds of them. Church was built for a thousand people; they had over two thousand there. I couldn't help but burst into tears. As I looked down upon that veritable sea of human faces, folks singing, all of them sang, tears down the cheeks of many of them. I wet two handkerchiefs that day. I couldn't help it. As I saw all these folks singing, crowded, and how long did some of them stand? Two hours and fifteen minutes. They had two songs, two readings of the scripture. The choir gave six marvelous selections of music if only Russians can sing. Through an interpreter, I listened to what the Russian Baptist preachers had to say. When it came time to take the offering, I saw the deacons worming their way through, a long velvet pocket like that for a collection pocket. Everybody trying to get, put money in the pockets. I couldn't tell you how I felt when I saw that great sea of faces, so many of them stained with tears as they sang. Very few hymn books, no church bulletins. And I said to the pastor, you ever put an ad in the paper? He said, no, never. Quite different from an ad I read here in some place in Louisiana, come and hear the preacher preach Sunday night on red suspenders. I said, we don't need to put eggs in. He said, it's this way all the time. I saw those Baptist people, hard hungry for the Word of God. And after all that was over, they had a big clock there that bombed out the hour of 11 and nobody paid the clock any attention. After the thing, everything had come to a conclusion. They sang, God be with you till we meet again and waved their white anchor just toward me. And when I turned to go, I saw half the congregation seated. I said, what are these people here for? And I said, they're waiting for the one service. I want to ask you a question. And they asked me one that made me ashamed. Same to my own inability to, to lead people like I want to lead them and same to my own folks. They said, how many members have you? I said, 9,000, including the little, the do-nothings, the do-littles, the move your ways, and the deadheads and the faithful. And they said, how many folks do you have on Sunday night? Well, and, and I showed them the picture of our church and they said, how many does <laughs> Singing, He said, they, they're singing some sweet day, your sorrows will be no more. I want to ask you a question. Are you in the face of the glory of Christ? Nobody moved except when somebody sitting got up to give somebody who was standing a rest by sitting. One of my said, I, I hope three people heard what you had to say about the Russian Baptist standing. Said so they came up and we couldn't find a seat for them and one of the ladies said, well we'll go away. Said, but we finally persuaded them to get up in one corner of the balcony. And we hope they heard what you said. I fear sometimes we've got a bad case of comfort among Southern Baptists. How many congregations do you know in our Southern Baptist Convention where half of them would stand for two hours and 15 minutes? I wonder if we're always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal place. That Moscow Baptist Church is owned by the Soviet government. They pay taxes on the land where the building is built. 4,000 rubles a year. But the pastor said, we raise that at one Sunday. And I said, well, tell me what you require of your members. He said, well, none of them smoke. A lot of Baptist deacons would be in a mess in that church, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of women, wouldn't it? But none of them dance. So if they go co- go contrary to our regulations, we <laughs> exile them. said <laughs> 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 our church believes in holy living. I want us to go from this place today devoted to Christ and his deity with the courage of Socrates to drink any cup of red hue, with the courage of Bunsen to go in the dungeon if necessary, and with the devotion of Grenfell who gave himself to bleed Labrador of Livingstone who opened that highway in Africa marked by the tombstones of modern missionaries. I said, my Brother Zinkoff had me in his home, I said, it has cost you folks to be Baptist, hasn't it? He said, yes. But that was all just a very serious yes. I said, how many children have you? He told me, he said, I lost three of my boys in the Patriotic War. And they mean by Patriotic War, the German invasion. if we're going to avoid a lot of trouble from Russia in our own land, we've got to go to living like Jesus. And manifest that devotion unto him until he shall come again. Or until that, those holy, blessed, pierced hands that open to us the gates to grace shall open to us the gates to glory. Thank you for listening to me. It's wonderful to be back in our own marvelous nation, which I believe has been a thought in the mind of God from all eternity for this very hour, but which I also believe will be carried out with the pallbearers that carried other nations to that grave unless we go the way Jesus went and the way he now